This episode contains content that talks about suicide and self-harm that could be disturbing to some listeners. Welcome to a special episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast, featuring multiple guests who have appeared in their own episodes on the Jesus Calling Podcast, speaking to how they learn to let go, start over, and find healing from difficult situations. Sometimes we may not understand why we face times in our lives when we need to move on and begin anew. Letting go of something we've been a part of for a long time, good or bad, can be painful. Letting go of relationships, whether through a loss or through changing circumstances, can be especially heartbreaking. Many of the stories you'll hear in this episode are from those who responded to either dire situations where letting go was required, or who purposely chose to start something new that led them to a place where they could fully discover who God wanted them to be. We'll start with a thought from country music singer-songwriters, the Warren Brothers. We didn't drink early in our lives. We waited till our, you know, early 20s and sort of started. We sort of just sort of tiptoed away from the mothership, you know, everything you'd learned in life, your foundation and spirituality. It was sort of all religion at that point, not much relationship. I didn't really plan to go that far, but you just sort of tippy-toe away from the boat far enough and all of a sudden you look up one day and it's a long way away. And 9-11 uh, happened and we lost our record deal and our father was dying of cancer and passed away two days before Christmas and we almost lost our publishing deal and we had little kids and the partying and the drinking and being in a bar band and just having fun and hanging out with other people that were partying and drinking turned into medicating pretty quick. We were completely empty, spiritually bankrupt, probably about to be financially bankrupt, but didn't even think about it. And it was just physically felt terrible. Everything was wrong. And I'm like, well, it's all kind of is gathering around this one thing. I really believed that we, oh man, I could quit drinking. I will not be able to be creative. I was protecting this amazing career we had of zero hits. <laughs> we had written <laughs> zero hits. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh gosh, we're gonna we're gonna lose it. I'm not gonna be able to write songs anymore. Like, I never stopped to think that you had no hits. So we literally, the very first hit we had was in our first year of sobriety. We thought we were giving something up creatively. The truth is, we were gaining tons. I think I felt like I knew that we I was gonna wind up in recovery down the road several years before it happened. I think Brett would probably say the same thing. We ironically got sober the same week. I actually went to outpatient rehab and our lives changed. And we, we surrendered that addiction. And I found, you know, it's the same God I grew up with, but I found a different a different doorway to to God than I had ever found in church. And uh, I love recovery. It's, it's a great it's a great system. And 12-step uh, living is absolutely biblically it lines up. The God I met in recovery and the God that I was introduced to as a little kid that was holding a lightning bolt that couldn't wait to pelt me all the time. And then the God I got to read in Jesus Calling each moment, have they've all circled into one. And we just surrendered and handed it over to somebody that could, that could actually do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that's when sort of our sobriety and spiritual journey for real started. So May 18th of 2020, our oldest son, who was 21 years old at the time, Sage, uh, passed away. He had struggled with the same same things that that I did. He was a great kid, and he uh, he had a great year before before he passed, which is an amazing gift to 
to get from God. You know, he was sober for a year. I had been sober many years. You know, our relationship with God was in a good place. It was good, but it's amazing that him departing. And it's funny because it'll sound like a commercial for Jesus Calling, but I mean, that was literally like this this book that my wife had on our stand. Jesus Calling is like, it hits me right between the eyes every single day. And I, I can't wait to read it. And then sometimes I just read it again to feel better. We started reading it together every morning. And I mean, there's so much incredible amount of peace that we receive from that book. The passing of our son has made us better people. Losing a child is the worst thing that has ever happened, but when you've lost the biggest thing that you can ever lose, it really makes you wear life like a loose garment. And I am not afraid to die, and I'm... I'm not afraid to cry on camera. <laughs> There's a lot of positives that come with something that negative. Tara Royer Steele of the Pie Haven in Round Top, Texas, who shares how she had let go of a marriage that was filled with abuse. My name's Tara Royer Steele, and um, I live in Brenham, Texas, which is smack dab in the middle of Houston and Austin. And I grew up in a tiny town called Round Top, Texas, which a lot of people know because of antiques. But I grew up in our family business of pie, and I have a pie shop with my husband, and we also have a commercial kitchen, which helps bake all the pies for our other businesses. Oh, I have two cute boys, <laughs> Brayden and Bentley. And we just love to create spaces for people to come and gather and create safe havens for people. I just wanted someone to love me, but he didn't love me. And I had to learn that, you know, he um, was abusive, and that was not even the last straw for me. And I had opportunity after opportunity to walk away. God had to grab me and say, listen, this is your last chance. I love you. I see you. I am enough for you. I didn't have a choice. There were no other options for me. So I just had to walk in that. And of course, then we got divorced, and I had been the, you know, take the keys away girl, the make sure everyone's safe girl. And now I was like, I don't care about any of y'all. I'm going to party like a rock star now. And I'm going to be the one that goes and drinks and has fun. And I mean, grace of God that, you know, I can sit here and be like talking here. Um, I don't know how I made it home many nights. And so I once again was searching and looking for attention. And I, I was the one that, hey, Call Tara, like, she'll go out, she's fun, she's the fun girl, she'll buy all her drinks. And and still though, of course, that just numbed everything. Nothing was repaired or resolved. The wounds and the pain just kept getting deeper and deeper. And so it eventually had to come to a point where I had to do something about it. This is the craziest thing. Like, it was once again God saying, Listen, I have really good stuff for you. Will you trust me and quit trying to please everybody and quit trying to make friends and just trust me? But I just saw all the ick and none of the good, none of the blessings. I remember conversations of driving like with a friend going, it would just be easier if I just ended my life right now. I have nothing. 
which was such a lie that I believed because I had so much. I did have amazing relationships. I had a family. I had a great job. I had amazing opportunities. So um, I was in a pretty deep pit. It's crazy that God used Match.com to introduce me to my husband who had been in silence for a year because of his previous marriage, just talking to God and growing. He grew up in the faith, but he didn't know. And I too grew up in all of it. And I knew, but I didn't know the goodness of God and what he had for me. And he put us together and and he wanted to, I mean, we got married real quickly because we both knew like, oh my gosh, I, this, I know what I don't want, and this is exactly what I want. He is such a gift from God. So many things in life, like our, the ingredients in our life are just like the fruits of the Spirit, right? Like, are you pouring in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Are you pouring all those ingredients into your pie? Are you, as you're molding and shaping your children like a pie crust, are you coming alongside them and crimping it with grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. Just like if Jesus was standing right next to you and he was walking you through. I bought the Jesus Calling book forever ago. I bought it for my kids, Jesus Calling for my kids. I read it with my kids. What I, I love about it, it truly is that, you know, you can just flip the switch real easy in that book and that devotion and put your name there and read the words and know that Jesus is speaking to you. So I love the words. They are full of truth and full of life and full of hope. We've been working together for 15 years and, you know, through it, we have gotten to do amazing things and grow our businesses and dream together. And the dreams that God had laid on my heart when I was a little girl and dreams that he's dreamed of, we're getting to do together. So it's such a sweet thing to be able to walk walk it all out like I don't remember so much of my past but man I would do it all over again to be where I am right now author and creator of the Simplify Planner Emily Lay you know it's so hard when you're a type A person who wants to do everything and you have many interests and you love your family dearly and you love your work dearly and you want to do everything and we think that we can do all the things and we can do them all well and what i learned in the last couple of years is that you can do all the things but you can't do them all well and so i got to a place where i had to say there are multiple commitments in my life and things i care deeply about but which ones matter the most right now and how can i create margin in my life breathing room space for myself to feel creative, to rest. And so my husband and I together made the decision to cut back on that and to get back to what we love most, which is inside the walls of this house, to be honest. So really put our family first and said, what falls in line after that? And that looked like making planners for women, equipping them and empowering them with tools to help them organize their lives and make the good stuff happen. And also um, writing these books that I feel like God has called me to write. 
I feel like the benefits that came out of that were exponential and almost immediate. There was a lightness for me in my heart that I felt like, okay, here we are. This is what we're committed to. This is the direction we're going in. It felt very focused for me. I felt like my husband and I were both very committed to the same goal again. And you know, it's funny. I feel like I had to disappoint a lot of people at that point in time. And that's difficult for me as a pleaser. But I, I realized that there were four people inside my home that were just delighted to see that they weren't just gonna see tired mom all the time. They were gonna see happy mom. And so in pairing back, I feel like I've given the best parts of myself to the people that matter most. I think it's really easy as a woman to fall into the trap that we have to get everything done right away, all the way, at the same time, and constantly feel like we're racing, like we're a hamster in a wheel, that we have to check off the to-do list and do all the things to make everyone happy or life isn't good. And this, this concept of good, like what is a good life, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I really believe that if we are giving that part of ourselves, the stressed out, overwhelmed part of ourselves to our kids, to our spouses, to our communities, there's something contagious about that and our entire society starts to feel like we are just drowning in anxiety. And so I started to look at our home. Like how can I calm myself down, calm our routines down? So be flexible, be cool with the, the Legos on the floor all the time, <laughs> the mess. How can I be okay with that, but also implement things in my life to make myself be able to take a deep breath when things really get crazy. And that happens daily, by the way, <laughs> especially with little ones, it happens a lot. So I've just found that I have to pause and take a deep breath. I mean, it sounds so elementary, but just pausing the chaos, being still for a minute. I love that verse, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Like calm your mind, calm your heart for a second, literally your heartbeat, calm it down. And remember that this is just a moment if it's chaotic, it's gonna pass. But what can we do to kind of calm the situation and move on? So I've loved reading Jesus Calling in the morning because I love that direct, specific, and short reading that really just speaks to things that really matter. Life is busy and there's a lot going on. And a lot of times it's just so special to sit down and really find joy and find truth before you start the day. So I thought I would read today's from my copy of Jesus Calling. Every time something thwarts your plans or desires, use that as a reminder to communicate with me. This practice has several benefits. The first is obvious. Talking with me blesses you and strengthens our relationship. Another benefit is that disappointments, instead of dragging you down, are transformed into opportunities for good. This transformation removes the sting from difficult circumstances, making it possible to be joyful in the midst of adversity. Begin by practicing this discipline in all the little disappointments of daily life. It is often these minor setbacks that draw you away from my presence. When you reframe setbacks as opportunities, you find that you gain much more than you have lost. It is only after much training that you can accept major losses in a positive way. 
but it is possible to attain the perspective of the Apostle Paul who wrote, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, I consider everything I once treasured to be as insignificant as rubbish. I love that because as much as I would love to be in control of every little part of life and have it perfectly organized and structured, life happens and we have to be able to roll with it, to be flexible in our plans and to know that these tiny things that are happening, even though some of them may be huge, they're insignificant compared to the way that God loves us, compared to what He has planned for us. Pastor and former NFL player, Derwin Gray. My name is Derwin Gray. I'm the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. In a former life, I was a professional football player that played football for the Indianapolis Colts and the Carolina Panthers. My NFL career was from 1993 to 1998. And I am shocked and as surprised as anyone that I am a pastor and an author. I grew up unchurched, didn't own a Bible, knew nothing about Jesus, and I was a compulsive stutterer. Plus, I didn't like to read books, but when Jesus called me, when Jesus loved me, when Jesus met me, he literally put things in me and brought gifts out of me that I didn't even know that was possible. So I'm just blown away by God's grace. It was at the peak of my football career where I found Jesus because I climbed a mountain only to find that the things that I was looking for wasn't there. It was like I was chasing my shadow and I finally caught it, but realized it went right through my hands. And, and so I was looking for things that only Jesus can give. No matter how much my wife loves me, she can't love me like Christ. And the football fans only loved me if I played good. My identity could not be just a football player because I wasn't going to be that my whole life. I needed a purpose beyond simply being good at football and making money. And so Jesus gave me those things. He gave me unconditional love. He gave me a new identity, beloved child of God. He gave me a new purpose, and that is to know him and to make him known through every facet of my life. So I never wanted to be a pastor, even, even when I came to faith. I didn't know what ministry was. I just started sharing everything that Jesus was doing in my heart and my wife would do the same thing. So I got invited uh, the year I retired in 1999 to speak at a youth event in Columbia, South Carolina. And I argued with God about going to speak because I said, I'm a compulsive stutterer. And in the midst of me crying, I, I just sensed God say, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. And so we went down there, myself, my wife, and our little baby girl, and I did the best I could, and a bunch of kids got saved. And then people just start calling me all the time. And as I was traveling around the country speaking, I started to notice that churches were very segregated. Like you'd have churches that were predominantly white, churches that were predominantly black. Like you never. I never ministered in a multi-ethnic church, and when I read the Bible, I seen that 
the early church were comprised of Jews and Gentiles. They were very multi-ethnic and the church not only was in relationship with Jesus based on love, but now enemies became family, foes became friends because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God promised Abraham a multi-ethnic family. And so I began to ask pastors, like, why isn't there more multi-ethnic churches? And God said, well, do something about it. And so 10 years ago, we planted Transformation Church and we are an intentionally Jesus-centered church. We preach the gospel, we preach grace, his love, his transformative power. And we're a church that looks like the new heavens is going to look. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. We've seen thousands of people come to faith. We've baptized thousands of people. Also, our church is probably leading the city of Charlotte in understanding mental health. We have a mental health ministry. We're on the front lines of teaching uh, racial reconciliation through the gospel. And so God has been very, very generous to us. And so we're seeing people transformed in beautiful ways by Jesus. And we're just thankful to be a part of it. Author and mother, Kayla Stockland, who shares about losing her pastor husband to mental illness. Andrew never stopped. Andrew was driven. Andrew was called. After his father passed away, he only took a two-week break. And then he came back to work and delivered this powerful series on heaven. His heart was for the local church. He wanted to lead them through their pain. He kind of put his own pain to the wayside in order to lead the church through theirs. So he was loved. He was called. He was equipped. He was driven. And he was, you know, he was handling it really well. And he was excited uh, for where he wanted to take the church. He was full of vision. Um, he was so excited for the future. And so he was welcomed with open arms as the lead pastor, but it was quite a bit of responsibility at a very young age. He was only 26 years old, almost turning 27 when he was handed the baton. And we had a very young family. We had two young boys at the time, and I was pregnant with our third boy. Through a couple of years, two or three years, I would get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. I'm in a really chaotic season of when my boys were really young. They were like little babies, a baby, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I would get up really early in the morning and have that quiet time with God. And I really felt like every time I opened Jesus Calling that the words were for me. And I would sit at the kitchen counter and I would open up my Jesus Calling devotional and sit there and read the little devotional and then look up the scriptures and journal. And it was just this really peaceful time for me. So it was in the fall of 2017 that things began to shift. Um, we had a stalker issue in our family that really was this biggest invitation for fear for my husband. And so this fear began to creep into our home and it manifested itself in panic attacks. And so Andrew was having panic attacks about two to three times a week and it would spread throughout his body and he would be trembling, he would be pacing, he would be crying, he would be absolutely over come with fear. And it was really scary. 
We were seeing doctors. We were trying to get to the bottom of where they were coming from and what was going on and what was causing them. And he decided to go on a very unexpected sabbatical. And we were super honest with the church. The board of directors went on stage and told the church that Andrew's been struggling with anxiety. He's been struggling with panic attacks. And he just is going to take some time off to rest. There was no timeline on it. We didn't put an end date on it. We really just told him, you can take as much time as you need. You have stepped up to the plate. You have led our church through so many trials, through so much pain, through the loss of your dad. Like, take as much time as you need. And the church was so receptive of that. And so a few weeks into his sabbatical, we went to see a psychiatrist. And it was at that appointment that my husband was diagnosed with depression. And so we really started on this journey with depression and he was given medication. Um, we started seeing a therapist. He would go on solo trips by himself to rest and spend time with God. He went on a trip to go spend time with a mentor in Colorado. We did a two week road trip, just the two of us to go spend time together and work on our marriage. And Andrew really just was resting and trying to take the time seriously and, and was reading and resting and exercising. And we really were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. In August of 2018, the doctors actually thought that the next step for Andrew would be to return to work. He hit the ground running and he gave two powerful messages on mental illness. He was talking about depression. He was talking about suicide. He was being very vulnerable and very honest with his own struggles. And the church, again, was so receptive. I mean, they gave him a standing ovation on his first Sunday back. The church was packed out. People were sitting on the floor. They were so eager and so excited that Andrew was back on stage. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. Andrew told our staff and told our family that he was at about 65%. And he really felt like God had put this message on his heart for the weekend. And so on Thursday of that week, he went to the office and just had a really, really bad day at the office. He had a mental breakdown. And we quickly realized like maybe he isn't even at 65%. Maybe he needs to take a couple steps back. Maybe he shouldn't speak this weekend. And so the next day, while we were away from him for just a little bit, making phone calls, scheduling a guest speaker for Sunday, he attempted suicide. And we were completely shocked, absolutely stunned. Um, we, we knew that he wasn't well, but we didn't know that it was that bad. We really, truly believed that would never happen to him. And so he was rushed to the hospital and the doctors ran a bunch of tests and um, there was nothing that they could do. And so on August 25th, 2018, Andrew died. And I was handed a brand new life as a widow and single mom of three little boys, ages two, four, and five. And it was an absolute blindside that our church never saw coming, that our family never saw coming, and that the doctors never saw coming, and that I absolutely never saw coming. You know, our church lost two lead pastors within just a couple of years. It's, it was a very, 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 very painful loss. 
here's this young pastor with this young family, good looking guy, beautiful family, seemingly had everything he could have ever asked for and more. And he dies by suicide. So it it just spread like wildfire all around the world. Our story and our family picture was on the news. And so I decided right away to share, you know, I had posted a picture of him to Instagram while we were in the hospital, begging everybody we knew to pray. I really, truly believed with enough prayer, he wouldn't die. I believed with enough prayer that God would intervene, that God would save him. I was willing to do whatever it took to beg God for that miracle. And we didn't get that miracle. And so it was important for me to not allow the suicide to define who Andrew was. You know, Andrew's life would be defined by the way he lived, not the way he died. I heard the stories from people and God was on the move. And he handed me this microphone and I couldn't look away. And so I kept sharing and I really truly felt the presence of God like I had never felt in my entire life. It felt like God was in everything all the time. And it was so beautiful and it was so tangible and it was also so frustrating. Because as we walked through this season of mental illness with my husband, I was begging God for a miracle. I was begging him to take the depression away. I was begging him to take the anxiety away. I was begging him for healing. And God was silent. It felt like God was silent. And then all of a sudden, Andrew dies and God is everywhere. And so it was so beautiful, but also so frustrating. But I just had to lean into that. And so I fell into the arms of God and just let Him lead the way and let Him open doors. And He opened doors left and right for me to share on stages that I never thought I would share on, for me to write a book that I never thought I would write. He gave me language to talk about suicide that was healing and helpful for people. No matter what we go through, we serve a God that's sovereign. We serve a God that's in control. We serve a God that can squeeze so much purpose out of our pain and that can turn really horrible, horrific, ugly things into beautiful redemption stories for others. CEO and author Steve White. I was blessed starting helping my mother clean motel rooms when she left my father. We moved to Indianapolis, Indiana from Florida, and she was cleaning motel rooms. And you get to see and learn a lot about people when you're at the bottom of the rung cleaning motel rooms. And certainly my mother's skill set was much greater than cleaning motel rooms, but she approached that job with an aggressiveness around work ethic with the right attitude. No matter how dirty that room was, she always approached it with enthusiasm and a level of commitment to excellence. And so recognizing that you should never allow your circumstances, your environment impact your ability to dream. When my mother made the difficult decision to leave my father, and must I tell you, that was not a popular decision with me as the oldest of four boys because I love my dad, but she made the difficult decision to go a different direction. And I remember family members, maybe not really understanding what they were saying, saying, those kids are not going to amount to anything if you leave. If you leave, you're setting them up for failure in life. And as a 10-year-old, 
you don't really understand that you know it's not positive and you don't realize how much it's impacting you. And so early on in my life, going through high school and college and early in my career, I was trying to prove something to someone else that I am worthy, that I was a success. I did uh, make things happen. But guess what? That is short-lived. I started learning to change my motivation. So when you start to dream for a better life and you get exposed and you see what others have and maybe what you don't have, it gives you a taste of what are the possibilities. And the more you demonstrate an interest in being better, the more you demonstrate that you want your light to shine brighter. What I found was more people were attracted to me to give me that hand up, to give me that opportunity. And so when you provide real opportunity to people, it's amazing what they will strive and what they will accomplish. You don't go from the housing projects of Indianapolis. You don't go from cleaning motel rooms to one of the top positions in one of the top companies in America and Comcast without a lot of people giving you a hand up. There are only two things ultimately you can really control and that's your attitude and effort. And how do I continue to get better at that? Particularly from a work ethic standpoint, how do I not put in more hours, but how do I get smarter about the investment of hours? How do I prepare my attitude in a way that is positive and uplifting, not looking through rose colored glasses, but is positive and uplifting? Because I think it's very difficult to try to improve many, many things. I believe the focus is find three or four things and really get better at those three or four things. And you will find that that will carry you through a lot of difficult situations. And so as I progressed in my career, I got smarter about my attitude. I got smarter about my work ethic. I got smarter about who I selected to put on my team because that impacted my attitude. If I worked around smart people, energetic people, it actually improved my attitude. So I started thinking about what I could do to get better in those areas. And that's uh, what propelled me to make progress throughout my career. There's a song and it goes like this. You die twice in life. You die the day they put you in the ground and you die the second time, the last time someone mentions your name. What a life when long after you're gone, people are still mentioning your name in a positive light. It's a life well lived because no one remembers how much money you have. No one really remembers how big your house was. No one really remembers how many awards you got. What they do remember, did you change my life? Did you impact my life? That's what people remember. We all have a purpose. We're all here on this earth for a reason. And so the more you can get quiet and reflect, it will help you start to identify your purpose and why. For example, in corporate America, it's called the great resignation. I call it something else. I call it the great reset. I think people are now at a very vulnerable stage in their life 
and they're trying to figure out what makes them happy. What is their purpose? How can they live life that is fulfilling? And as they ask themselves that question, they're making conscious decisions that I don't want to work for this company or I don't want to work for that person or I don't want to be here. And that's what I call the great reset. But the way when I coach people on trying to identify their purpose and why, I start, say, let's do an inventory. What are you passionate about? I mean, really, really passionate about. And then let's take that list. And what do you think you're really good at? I like to golf. I'm passionate about it. But if I say, am I really good at it? I'm okay, but I'm really not great at it. Then the third question, would you do it for free? Now, if you can start to piece the answer to those three questions, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? Be honest with yourself. Get feedback if you need to. And then what would you do for free? Now you start to get closer to your purpose and your why. Now you're starting to focus in on your purpose and why. And then when you start to answer those questions, you reflect on it, you pray on it, you spend time with yourself, talk to others that you trust. And that's why it's so important to spend time with yourself, really thinking about what is your purpose and why are you on this earth? Because now it has a framework for decision-making as you go forward. Morning is my time to get up early, to reflect, to pray. That's how I stay in touch with me and what opportunities are coming my way because I get really quiet. I have a special place in our house that I go and I just be quiet and reflect and think and pray, which allows me not to miss those future opportunities. Jesus listens. My Jesus, you designed me to live in union with you. I'm thankful that this union does not negate who I am. On the contrary, it makes me more fully myself. I've discovered that when I try to live independently of you, even for short periods of time, I experience emptiness and dissatisfaction. But when I walk in the light of your presence, you bless me with deep, satisfying joy. I delight in praising you, exalting in your righteousness. Help me to find fulfillment in living close to you, yielding to your purposes for me. Sometimes you lead me along paths that feel alien to me. At such times, I need to cling to you, trusting that you know what you're doing. When I follow you wholeheartedly, I can discover facets of myself that were previously hidden. You know me intimately far better than I know myself. In union with you, I am complete. In closeness to you, I am transformed more and more into the one you created me to be. In your beautiful, righteous name, amen. Thank you for listening to this special monthly series as part of the Jesus Calling Podcast. 
Be sure and follow the Jesus Calling podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests and also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com or visit us on our social media sites on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.